Thanks to Greg for doing those readings. Thanks, by the way, to all of our providers of special music this week, Holly Zorzen for that anthem, Lynn Key for uh, her special music. And, you know, we always joke, right, uh, as pastors that the Saturday night service is like the warm-up round, the practice round. But, boy, now that we film videos on Thursday, y'all are really the practice round. But here goes. Um, sermon for this week, Luke 11, um, teach us to pray. Who taught you how to pray? My first teacher in prayer was Rabbi Ted Falcon. I grew up Jewish, or we would call it Jewish, like a little bit Jewish, um, but small town, no synagogue. Um, so when I was in grade school, Rabbi Ted started coming once a month from Seattle, would come to the island and lead a service. And the first thing that Rabbi Ted taught me about prayer is that if you say amen at the end, it's like counts as if you've said the whole thing. Now this is really good news because for those services, most of the prayers were all in Hebrew, which not having gone to Hebrew school, I could not read. So I was delighted to learn that that was okay. I could just say amen. And according to him, that is just sufficient. The other thing I learned about prayer from Rabbi Ted is that there's a prayer for everything. Because in Judaism, there is quite literally a prayer for everything, okay? So like there's a prayer for lighting the candles, for breaking the bread, for pouring the wine. There's a prayer for when you start your time together. There's a prayer for when you end your time together. For like first thing when you wake up in the morning, there's a prayer for that. There's a prayer for last thing before you go to sleep at night. There's even a prayer for going to the bathroom. And most of these prayers are not just prayers. Um, they're a specific kind of prayer. Now, Prayer is um, any time or any way that we become aware of the presence of God and our connection to God. But these prayers are blessings. And a blessing is a particular kind of prayer in which we ask God to bless something, to make it holy, to make it special, to make it more than the sum of its parts. And a blessing reminds us that whatever the thing is that we're blessing, it is a gift and that gift comes from God. So like um, the blessing for the bread, blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things who brings forth bread from the earth. A blessing for anytime you see a person or animal that's kind of different or unique, maybe makes you uncomfortable. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things who created variety among living beings. A blessing for any time that you see something beautiful Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, maker of all things, who placed such as this in the universe. And the blessing for when you go to the bathroom. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, maker of all things, who in your wisdom fashioned a body with many openings and cavities. And it is known before your heavenly throne that if even one of these openings and cavities were to be closed when it should be open or open when it should be closed, it would not be possible to stand before your throne of glory. So blessed are you, Lord, our God, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. So, a prayer for everything, a blessing for everything, a prayer that makes ordinary things holy and reminds us that they are a gift from God. And if you just say amen at the end, that is enough. Wise words from a really wise man who I still appreciate to this day. Now, who do we think taught Jesus to pray? Um, almost definitely a rabbi. 
So I, of course, am picturing them just like Rabbi Ted, Rabbi Ted with the white beard, glasses, looking at Jesus with those sparkly eyes and saying, hey, there is a blessing for everything. A prayer that makes ordinary things holy reminds us that they are a gift from God. Because when Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray, that's exactly how he starts, right? Our Father, hallowed be your name. And that's a blessing. And it's um, that verb for hallowed, it's in the imperative. So this isn't praise, oh God, your name is so holy. This is actually acting, asking God to act. God, make your name holy. Make your kingdom a reality on, here on earth. Make your will and your ways be done here on this earth. That's a big prayer. That's a big prayer that we're praying. Um, and that, I mean, that is nothing more or less than, than God's dream of completely remaking our old and tired world, um, every dusty, dingy corner, and giving it new life, new healing, new wholeness, new purpose, including us and our own lives, new life, new healing, new calling, new purpose. That's a big, big prayer. And it is definitely one that we are still waiting for God to fully answer, which kind of raises the question. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, do we actually believe that our prayer will be answered? Then, after that first part of the Lord's Prayer, this big cosmic ask, then Jesus gives us these three things to pray for for our own lives while we're waiting for God to answer that big prayer. Um, God, feed us, forgive us, and save us from the time of trial. And for some of us, some of those prayers are also prayers that we are still waiting for God to fully answer, which raises the question, do we believe that our prayers will be answered? So that's the first half of the gospel. And if the first part of the gospel is Jesus teaching us which words to use when we pray, then the second half of the gospel is Jesus teaching us which kind of attitudes to have when we pray. And, and it mostly comes down to trust, right? Like ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and doors will open before you. And then Jesus basically says, like, think about it, you guys. People, with all of our faults and failures, if we ask for help, people usually do their best to step up. How much more so, God? And people, with all our faults and failures, like, we'll do anything for our kids, right? How much more so, God? And this section, too, raises the question, do we really believe our prayers will be answered? So my next set of teachers in prayer uh, were evangelicals. And that was the first kind of church I joined. So lay leaders in the church who volunteered to work with the youth group kids, which I was in at the time. And uh, I was, the way that they prayed, these just, you know, not pastors, like ordinary members of the church, they prayed so easily and so often. Um, it, it really, it moved me. It changed me. And I, I still treasure that. Um, and they prayed with such confidence, right? Like, just like, like, ask and you will receive. Like, they just trusted that it would happen. And um, the one kind of impact of that that was a little bit, ended up being hard for me is that I kind of got the impression from the way they prayed and the way they talked about prayer that if I prayed the right way for the right amount of time, 
that I would get what I wanted. And um, I mean, like at the time, obviously that my, probably my most repeated prayer was that Sidney Hayworth, who was the cutest, most athletic guy in our class, that he would ask me to dance at homecoming or like um, a, you know, a year after that, praying that God would, would tell me, announce to me the name of the college to which God wanted me to go. Um, and both of those are prayers that never um, appeared to be answered. And of course, I'm making light of a very serious subject because all of us have or will have an experience uh, where we pray desperately uh, for things to be other than the way that they are to no avail, or times when we don't even bother to pray for a different outcome because we know that it is not to be. And those are very hard times in which to pray, and those are times that can cause kind of a crisis of faith for, uh, for me or for others. Um, trying to figure out what prayer even means in a situation like that. So those are actually, I mean, that was actually part of why I eventually left the evangelical tradition um, and found a place in a tradition like this one. Um, but here's the thing, like traditions like ours, which you might describe as, I don't know, like more intellectually rigorous, in our approach to theology and more kind of restrained in our public piety and practice. In our you know, very right on critique of what you might call like vending machine prayer, right? Like input the right kind of prayer and outcomes the desired outcome. In our very well-grounded critique of that, we sometimes do the baby in the bathwater thing, right? where since we're not going to pray like that, we maybe just leave off praying altogether. Or if we pray, we pray in such kind of careful, um, restrained ways that somebody listening in might reasonably ask themselves, like, if I even believe at all that my prayers matter. And so my prayer for myself and for all of us, Christians in any tradition, is that we would be able to pray like the evangelicals, easily and often and with great confidence, while also knowing that when we pray, there is so much more going on than like a spiritual quid pro quo. So, no, prayer is not like a vending machine, but it is something that has real power. Prayer is not a source for easy answers, but it is a practice that leads us to better questions. And our quest is not to understand it. Our quest is to experience it, experience the power and the transformation, and then have that mystery pull us in closer towards the heart of God. And then most of all, most of all this, prayer is not how we get what we want. Prayer is how God gets what God wants. So picture this. Picture Anytime you pray, even right now, as you lift that prayer up, it's like there's picture a tiny thin gossamer thread that goes from you and it goes up, 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 and it connects you to God and it connects you through God to the people for whom you pray. So now picture those, that thread going up from you. And then picture all of the other threads going up from the people like in our community who are also lifting prayers alongside you, and then picture all the people lifting those threads up all around the world in all different places. And now, picture back in time to all of the threads that have gone up from all the people in all the places over all the years. 
and then think forward to all of the threads, all the prayers that will be lifted by all the people in all the different places in all the years to come. And then picture God taking all of those threads, gathering them together and using them to stitch back together our broken world, to bring God's kingdom come here on earth. The Lord's Prayer is at its heart a blessing. A blessing, of course, is a prayer that takes something ordinary and asks God to make it holy. A prayer that reminds us that the thing we are blessing is a gift and the gift comes from God. What is it that we're blessing when we say the Lord's Prayer? Nothing more and nothing less than our entire world and our entire lives. So my friends, anytime we pray the Lord's Prayer and like every second in between, may we remember that our world and our lives are holy. They are a gift, and the gift comes from God. May we let go of the idea of prayer as a vending machine and learn that it is something so much bigger than that, so much better than that, so much more powerful than that. May we trust that our prayers have power, that they change us and change our world. They are the way that God gets what God wants. So, may we be people who pray easily and often and with great confidence. And if we're ever feeling stuck or unsure about what to pray for or what, what words to use, may we remember what Jesus teaches us about prayer. That the Lord's Prayer is a pretty good place to start, right? And if there comes a time ever when even that doesn't feel like enough, may we know if we just say amen at the end, that will suffice. And all God's people said, Amen.